whoever is listening guys welcome back my name is grayson man and welcome to a reaction episode once again we're doing it back to back with nick saban in episode 150 we're doing it today episode 151 reacting to what was a pretty solid weekend of nfl playoff football you had the ravens lions 49ers and the chiefs all battling it out to get to the final four of the nfl playoffs really excited about that i think if you looked at those four teams and how they played throughout the season as a collective effort maybe if depending on how you believed in dallas you thought this was probably the f the four best teams within this field detroit having a great story this year 12 and 5 heading to the nfc championship san francisco really dominant all year with that special group of offensive skill players that they have plus the career growth of brock purdy we're going to get into all this today i think it would be really irresponsible of me if i didn't just start with the game that just occurred with us it's about an hour after the game concluded buffalo falling once again to kansas city that's a pretty consistent storyline around this time of year now the bills have lost their last three of their five postseason appearances to kansas city and another loss in the divisional round comes their way 27 24 mahomes 17 23 215 two touchdowns about as methodical a game as you can get. I don't think when this game really turned into a standstill in the fourth quarter, they were just trading blows back and forth. It felt like the game in 21 that they were hyping up. And I think something I would love to address with this game is they were, as they were doing the, the hype trailer, as I like to call it before the start of the game, they're trying to get everybody ramped up. They talked about how Mahomes and Allen are just like the Peyton Manning Brady rivalry in the early days. And I think they're kind of right because one side it's so lopsided with Mahomes consistently besting Allen like Brady consistently bested Manning in the postseason many point to Brady and Belichick's defense there Mahomes has Andy Reid as play caller he's Travis Kelsey Mahomes Sean McDermott all the mess that went through earlier in the year you have to really credit Buffalo for really riding the ship and being able to ride it all the way to the divisional round but I think with Brady and Manning it was always Brady won when it counted Manning had the MVPs Many felt like Manning was probably the better quarterback, but I think in this case, Mahomes has the MVPs. He's got the championships. He's got the better coach. So it's really has been this one-sided rivalry, and you could really tell tonight. These two teams do not like each other one bit. There's extra hits after the after the batter. There's snowballs being thrown. So, if, Sam, if you're watching this, I brought it up again. But once again, it's the Kansas City Chiefs coming out on top against, Mahomes, against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I thought Buffalo was mostly the better team throughout. I thought they ran the ball effectively. They got James Cook and Josh Allen involved. Something we saw with Joe Brady is this understanding of who he has in Josh Allen, where I thought sometimes Buffalo's priority uh, wasn't able to really figure it out. I think as the season progressed, they were more willing to take chances with Josh Allen and running him, and they did a lot with that tonight. 12 carries for 72 yards. He got in the end zone twice. And it just felt like as the game progressed with Brady, the creativity and the aggressiveness started to wear off. I know that they tried to do a fake punt with DeMar Hamlin, which was extremely questionable. I don't know what the thought process was. I know on the broadcast, they said there were 10 men on the field. So it was like, hey, we're going to try to go with this because we have the look that we want. But in the end, still really weird decision to go to the weak side of the field with a fake punt. It felt like it threw the rhythm of this game out of whack and out of sync as things continued to progress. And I think Kansas City in the end, they just made fewer mistakes, and they made bigger plays. Uh, it's the best this offense has looked all year, especially with how sometimes it felt like the Chiefs' offense was dead on arrival some nights, whether it's Kadarius Tony and drops, whether it's Travis Kelsey starting to show his age a little bit. I feel like the Chiefs really had their number here. It's Mahomes' first win on the road in the playoffs. It's been a storyline that we've pay been paying attention to 
virtually, I think we've been following it for a long time of his career, but we finally got to see it. And I think it's the perfect environment to get that first win because Buffalo fans are going to bring it. We know this jumping hands on fire. Everything's on fire, jumping on the tables that are on fire, electric atmosphere, exactly what you want in the playoffs in Kansas city. Once again, they just find ways to win last week against Miami. It was, Hey, we're going to just do enough offensively. We know we can't, and we know we can trust the defense, especially with the limitations of Tua in that cold weather. They just found a way to ride this storm. Mahomes and Andy Reid have found a way to ride this really rocky year, despite the fact that they finished the year 11-6. It's crazy to think about that in that way, that it's almost how we viewed the Patriots in their dynastic run, is that 11-6 for Kansas City is viewed as a bad year and not characteristic of their dynastic tendencies. And it's been a weird year for them and Mahomes, but once again, they find themselves in the AFC Championship to face Baltimore. I think early I like Balt- I like Baltimore in this one, but I'm really curious to see how Spag- Steve Spaggs really navigates to defend Lamar. I think there's a cur- certain couple ways he could use Chris Jones on the outside. I-, I think the way they used Willie Gay tonight in certain situations when he wasn't hurt to try to put a spy on Josh Allen, just have extra eyes on him, it's going to be different. Mah- Lamar were... Allen has the speed and the size. Lamar is a little bit more elusive. It's a little more Tyreek Hillish, where he's able to really, when he's in space, it's really it's the quick movements, it's the shifts that Lamar has that makes him special. They took care of business against Houston. I didn't feel like I had much to add to that conversation with the Texans and the Ravens. I think just to quickly touch on that, Ravens-Texans, 34-10. It was a blowout. Uh, Lamar, defense, offense, special teams. Looked like a classic hardball game. Everything complemented each other. And the Texans just don't have any help on the offensive line to help C.J. Stroud out in this situation. You felt like that could have been potentially a problem against Cleveland, but I think Baltimore, with uh, the way that uh, McDonald's able to expose that as the Ravens' D.C., he did a much better job of putting C.J. Stroud in really uncomfortable situations. It was a true test on the road. He looked about as uncomfortable as he did in Week 1, but it was a closer game. Houston's defense played really well. In week one, Lamar's just able to get to his playmakers. Everything just has a little bit of a different feel to it, especially now that Lamar gets that playoff win. There's always going to be a surrounding narrative. He started one and three as a playoff quarterback, but Ravens were just ultimately a better team, and it showed on the field throughout the four quarters. Houston really never had a shot. So it's going to be Kansas City and Baltimore. I'm going to take Baltimore. If I had to guess, it would probably be Baltimore plus three, three and a half, if we were betting on the outcomes of these games, but I'm going to take Baltimore early, but I think Kansas City with Mahomes, the way they're starting to figure out how to win these games, I think that could ultimately make the difference, but I think it's going to be a chess match with the coaches, Andy Reid, uh, John Harbaugh. It's going to be really fun to watch, and I'm really excited about it. But let's go to the NFC. I, I really want to talk about Green Bay and San Francisco real quick with the way it felt like for me, this was my big thing heading into the game with San Francisco was, Yes, I think San Francisco on paper is overwhelmingly the better team. Green Bay comes in as this young, has nothing to lose. They just went into Dallas, a team that just fell apart structurally, systematically with Mike McCarthy. People thought he eventually would be replaced by Bill Belichick, who's on the coaching market right now. After what was an embarrassing loss in the playoffs, Jordan Love was absolutely phenomenal against Dallas. Uh, We didn't really get to talk about that on that that week of the podcast, but you thought... It's going to be either Green Bay rolls in with more momentum and they're able to hang with San Francisco or San Francisco is just a more physically and just a better prepped team, I feel, for the playoffs in terms of who they have and their personnel. And 
Green Bay mostly hung with them throughout the majority of this contest. Uh, San Francisco wins by a field goal. Anders Carlson, you could see the quote on national TV where I think it was Rinaldi on the sideline saying every time Carlson rolls out there to kick for Green Bay, that Matt LaFleur is simply praying that he makes it. So that's something that they're going to have to fix in the offseason. But I think if you're Green Bay, this was an incredible run for this team and the situation that it, that it was in. And you thought, okay, if they were able to make the NFC Championship game, and I hate to start this on a hypothetical, was it an indictment on Aaron Rodgers? I know we've talked about Aaron a lot during this offseason, especially since he's become the Jets' QB. And the way that Jordan Love has ascended, the two picks that he threw, I think he's thrown three in two months. He had 25 touchdowns. Uh, it was a pretty crazy stat line of efficiency that Jordan Love, from Thanksgiving against Detroit, to last last night in San Francisco as I'm recording this, it's Sunday, You'll be seeing this podcast Monday morning, probably around 11 or noon. But for the Packers, what a year, what a run. I think the, this team's here to stay, and it's going to be a really competitive NFC North with Detroit for years to come with Goff and Jordan Love battling it out. But on the other side, let's talk about Brock Purdy. So it wasn't Brock's best game. And one of the things about Brock Purdy, one of the big knocks on him throughout his young and early career filled with lots of success and playoff wins. Let's Keep that in perspective. It's tough to win in the postseason, especially against a team like Green Bay that was running the ball really well, has a ton of young talent, nothing to lose, came in and hung with them. Give them a little bit of a punch in the mouth back and forth with San Francisco, but Purdy, 23-39, 252, and a touchdown. It's not going to blow you away, but I wanted to rewatch the drive last night that put him ahead with about 145 left to play. And there were certain things that I wanted to point out with Purdy that I think come with fair criticism that he's in a loaded offense. He has Christian McCaffrey to hand the ball off to and dump off in checkdowns or screens. Got one of the best tight ends in football with George Kittle. He's got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, who was an all-pro. You looked at the starting lineup on the Fox graphic, and everybody was an all-pro, I believe, except for Debo Samuel. And I think if you distribute the ball to him a little more, someone's going to have to sacrifice. It's going back to what the Celtics talked about having to do you can see in the, the hats if you're watching on YouTube. The Celtics talked about at the beginning of the year because they have Drew Holiday, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kristaps Porzingis, Derek White, all who could feasibly be all-stars if it was their the cast was around them was more supporting than starting. And you have five leads, essentially. And someone's going to have to sacrifice. Someone's going to have to have less lines. Someone's going to have to have less opportunity, less touches. So the Niners, for a majority, they had to do that. And so Brock Purdy really is the point guard of this offense. And I thought last night he put on his best showing and it was when they needed it. No Debo Samuel. He got hurt early in the game. He had a drop with George Kittle, a couple third down situations where he had to put the ball in tight windows. I thought Purdy played one of his better games of the NFL career. Even if the stats aren't going to support it, I think the moment and whether you're a 49ers fan or you're an outside who thought the MVP conversation around Purdy was a little ridiculous. I think last night was more of a, indication that Purdy certainly belongs and that he's got something to it with this NFL thing. Uh, it was a career-defining drive for me. Uh, it showed me what he's capable of, and I know he's not the best in terms of athletically. He's a little limited, but he had a nine-yard scramble in the end zone that set up Christian McCaffrey for a touchdown. He was a reason they won. He was not a benefit. He wasn't a beneficiary of the offense that surrounded him. He had to dig them out of holes in certain situations. The weather wasn't ideal last night in San Francisco. It was raining. Sometimes the conditions would, like a snap of a finger out of nowhere, would start to pour. It would start to get a little bit harder. 
to find touches for the ball, to find the right placement. So I think for Brock Purdy last night was really important as San Francisco continues to find a way to get to the Super Bowl. They have Detroit, a team that I think really has improved defensively in this postseason. I had a little bit of doubts here and there with certain performances that they've had throughout the latter stretch of the season, but they're going to host the NFC Championship. It's going to be on their turf, their terms, and their home crowd, which really brings it in Levi Stadium. So San Francisco on the NFC Championship, Green Bay, an incredible story. I can't wait to see Jordan Love. I mean, just talking about him for a second, in October, I think it was their GM that pretty much said these last game, these last couple games, whether it's we make the playoffs or not, this is an audition for Jordan. It was that it was that much of a crossroads for Green Bay of this either could be their third franchise QB in a row, or we got to go back to the drawing board. And you have to give Matt LaFleur and this coaching staff and Jordan Love some, so much credit for just riding this storm, being so patient with development. We don't see development in college football anymore. And it's something that I don't personally love, but in the NFL, you get situations like where Jordan Love sits for a couple of years and you see the benefits of that. You see the pros, the positives. I don't want to talk about cons with Jordan Love. He was awesome this year. He's going to be fun to watch. He's got so much talent. I know the interception was very Brett Favre-like where you had him hauling one like he was on the Vikings. But I'm excited to see where his future lies. And I really just can't wait to see where the Packers go from here. It's going to be an incredible division. It's going to be them in Detroit. Two of the better teams in the NFC next year, I think I would be very confident saying that it's going to be like what Philly and Dallas were for a couple years in this current position where it's two teams that can arguably be a top seed in the NFL. They just happen to be playing in the same division. And that other seed in Detroit picked up a big win against Tampa Bay, 31-23. to uh, Let's just start with Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield, uh, replacing the big shoes of Tom Brady, who took Tampa Bay to the playoffs three straight times. Super Bowl, a divisional appearance, and then a wild card loss as Brady was starting to fall apart at the seams. It was kind of a messy team last year with Tampa Bay. No one gave the Buccaneers any sort of chance. And if you follow me on Twitter, which I really recommend you should, uh, I put out in September, it was a game against the Vikings where I thought, man, May this is really Mayfield's last chance. I hope he can find some stability. And I said, I'm going to ride with him the rest of the way, no matter what happens. I didn't think it would be the divisional round, but Mayfield put on quite a show all year. They finished 9-8, and eight, won a playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Mayfield, while the interceptions, he really wasn't doing himself any favors with that last one. It was really one a, a mistake, I would say, for Mayfield. But overall, I think he played a really phenomenal game, and he's had a sensational postseason run. And besides one game against the Chiefs where it was an iffy call with Njoku, Diving to the end zone. It's either him or Rashard Higgins that dove to the end zone there. But I think Mayfield's really been a spectacular postseason quarterback where he's putting the team in situations to win. The team's always in it. And Mayfield has enough moxie and swagger to make any team believe that they have a chance regardless of who they're playing. I, I was starting to think, try to talk to myself when Mayfield tied it up at 17 is what is this team's chances against San Francisco? And they're like, oh, they have Baker Mayfield. And so I think for the Bucs, it's, I think this is a perfect marriage. It's a team that's had a chip on its shoulder. You have a bunch of narratives, and I'm, I might have been guilty of it too, saying that Tampa Bay doesn't have a prayer in the playoffs, but in a weak division with a quarterback that's going to consistently have a chip on his shoulder that's been given up on several times, he's finally found his home. And I think if you're Tampa Bay, you've made this divisional run. It's a roster that's really strong in several areas, but can use some tweaking here and there, and you're going to have to replace potentially your offensive coordinator 
who is probably vying for some head coaching jobs after turning around the career of Geno Smith and then Baker Mayfield. He was the OC in Seattle last year and was responsible for this career renaissance that Geno Smith had, now Baker Mayfield, taking part of that. And he's been able to learn under the tutelage of Sean McVay for a couple months when he was traded to LA last year. And now he's able to really revive his career It what was his final chance. And I think if it's not Tampa Bay, I think many teams will be vying for his services in March when free agency hits. I think it will be really apparent to see how much the NFL world views Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. And I know there was this back and forth of C.J. Garner-Johnson, but I think this Tampa team, if they get Baker Mayfield, even if Atlanta were to get Belichick, the Saints with Derek Carr doesn't really move the needle for me. Carolina's a mess. I don't know if anyone's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong just because I don't follow Panther stuff, but I don't think any big names have applied or interviewed for that Panthers job. And with a bad owner, messy franchise, really just overall it's a franchise I don't think anyone really wants to sink their teeth into if they're a primary head coaching candidate on the market. So Carolina is going to be a mess whether they move on from Bryce Young or not. They've got a lot to figure out. So if you're Tampa Bay, you're in a really good situation where nine wins in that division probably gets you in the playoffs 90% of the time, at least for the next couple years while the other teams around you start to try to figure it out. So I think signing Mayfield this offseason is going to be of the utmost importance for this Buccaneers franchise. And maybe you draft a quarterback in round two or three, see if Mayfield's a bridge option or you see him as a long-term viable solution. But I think Mayfield's done enough to justify he's one of the 30 starters in this league and probably at the top of that, maybe top 16 of the pecking order. And for Detroit, it, they're one get win. Say it with me, folks. The Detroit Lions are one win away from the Super Bowl. I talked to one of my buddies that's been on the podcast a couple times, Jackson Malone, JM Live. We were talking. He said, this is the happiest I've been as a Lions fan. And there's plenty of evidence. I know there's someone out there go, wait, he's a Lions fan. When did he become a Lions fan? He's been a Lions fan for a while now. But Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, it, it was an odd pairing at the at the time. Jared Goff, cast aside by Los Angeles, comes into Detroit, and it took a couple years. Uh, Year one wasn't perfect, but I think what Dan Campbell has done, and he's the obvious coach of the year winner and very well should be, is this identity that Detroit's taken on, its grittiness, its toughness. It's really taken on the identity of the city, and you got to see it on full display again today. And We get to see on a national TV, Detroit fans, they weren't crying this time, but it was more of, Okay, now we're in this. We expect this. Yeah, Detroit, two wins in the playoffs. Jared Goff on the doorstep of taking another team to the Super Bowl. Uh, you got to credit this coaching staff too, Ben Johnson, for putting him in perfect situations. Goff for once again having a great day. Uh, the connection between him and Amon Ross St. Brown is unbelievable. There's so many third down plays where Goff is able to just do just enough to find him, give Amon Ross enough space. And Amon Ross is a strong player too. There were certain several plays today where he, you look on the TV and on the broadcast, and his stature may not tell you a lot, but when he gets that first contact, it's not like he's immediately down. He fights for those yards, and that was that third and 15, that throw that Goff made on a strike. Targets the backup corner because Jamel Dean was out, and Monroe St. Brown does the rest. And for Detroit, it's one game away from the Super Bowl, which I don't think many set, thought would ever crossed their mind even if Detroit was a lock in many people's eyes to make the playoffs this year given the state of the NFC North I think you got to give a ton of credit to Detroit ton of credit for the staff and for what they've been able to accomplish it's 14 wins now on the year if you count the playoffs 
Uh, they've utilized Jameer Gibbs in a great way. Jamison Williams is starting to develop a route tree of sorts. They were effective on third down. They didn't make the big mistakes. It acted they they've been like it felt like they had been there several times before. And I think that's really because of Jared Goff and being able to say, hey, I've been here before in various situations. I've won playoff games in Seattle, despite the fact there was COVID. I've won games to the Super Bowl. I've gone on the road to New Orleans, a team that was really good and won in overtime. We were down 10 early too. I've battled Belichick in the Super Bowl. Regardless of how that result goes, you can say that you've been there. And Goff's taken this team from potentially almost going winless in 2021 to now be on the doorstep of the Super Bowl in 2023. And they're not paying up a ton. He's made his base salary according to Spotrack.com is $21 million. That's less than Tua. That's less than Daniel Jones. That's less than Kyler Murray. Uh, that is a pretty significant list. Uh, less than Dak Prescott. Uh, you saw Dak Prescott into a fold this postseason. Kyler Murray is on the couch and he's got a contract clause that says he needs to study more. Whether that report is accurate or not, something had to have leaked out. Uh, you got Daniel Jones, who many feel Dable squeezed all the juice he could out of him in 22. I'd say Goff is better than everyone on that list. Oh, and Deshaun Watson, $46 million to be controversial and injured half the time. Goff's better than him, too. I don't know where Goff ranks in your NFC QB list, but he's got to be pretty darn high. And so I think it's time for the Detroit Lions to not have the, their signature game is coming gone with that Rams win over Matthew Stafford, who's a talent in his own right in the NFC. But if the Lions were to make the Super Bowl, well, we'll talk about that on the next episode of the podcast when we do our preview of the Super Bowl. But looking at this game here and now, it's really going to be San Francisco is going to do everything they can to make Jared Goff uncomfortable. But I think every time Goff's been tested this year, he's passed every time. And so we'll see how it goes. I think my early prediction will probably be San Francisco by a field goal, just because I think they're going to be able to run the ball on this Detroit defense a little better. The Bucs were able to start to run the ball more effectively as the game went on. They just ran out of time. And so we'll see. I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. The higher, I think the higher scoring of the two, I can see Ravens Chiefs being a little more explode, a little more defensive. Uh, with Spagnola and McDonald really battling it out, uh, two DCs in a chess match with Harbaugh and Reed. So we'll, we'll we'll wait on predictions. I want to think about this and let things roll aside, but really excited. What a great weekend. Jared Goff shines. Brock Purdy, career game, defining drive. Mahomes, once again, what it, it doesn't really surprise me anymore in these situations, so we'll get to see it all come to fruition it's the final four in the NFL, and we'll have some coverage with it on the Man with the Plan podcast. Subscribe here to our YouTube channel and Spotify to get more from the show. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a great day, and take care. Mm-hmm.